Romans, the first chapter, I would like to look at those first 17 verses this morning and with God's help would like to address a subject of you can be a winner. You can be a winner. What makes some people stand out from the crowd? What causes some people to be greater achievers than others? What is it that makes some people winners? You know, we always want to learn the secrets. So we might try the same things in an effort to succeed if it worked for someone else. And you may say it's talent. Some people have it and some people don't. And I'm sure that's a very real factor. I'll compare my wife. She's got a voice. Now, some would call that talent. I call it a gift. But you know what? I didn't get that gift. And in all my years of pastoring, once the minister of music on my staff has learned or heard me sing, there's never another invitation. <laughs> I've never been invited to sing in the choir. And I've always told them, if you don't preach, I won't sing. And that minister of music stays in his lane, and I stay in my lane. But some will say it's talent. Some people have it and some don't. And I am sure that that's a very real factor. Some might say it's the breaks. It's a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And I will not negate that. Many times it is a matter of being in the right place at the right time. And I'm sure we can't argue about that. But I would like to suggest to you that there's far more important item here. And that is the item of our attitude. It's a winning attitude that makes the difference. God's word has been telling us this secret for some 2,500 years. What does the proverb say, the writer of the proverb say? As a man thinks, so he is. Those are words from God from 2,500 years ago. And I think there's a secret to that for all of us to consider in our lives. It's far more important about our attitude, a winning attitude makes the difference. And that's why I declare to you that you can be a winner. If you will develop and practice the winning attitude, you are on your way to greatness. And now in order for us to find that winning attitude, let us look at one of history's greatest winners, the Apostle Paul. He wrote the majority of the, of the New Testament. He is by far the one individual who wrote the most part of the Bible. And he's the author of this letter to the Romans. And I say that he was a great winner because he was a great donation. He made a great donation in his life. He made a donation to the whole race, a human race. Now, I don't measure life by its duration, by how long you live, whether you're 98 and a half like my mother and still going strong. Just had a new pacemaker put in last year. Good for 12 years. She's good to 112. It's good for 15 years. It's good for 112. I told her that. I said, Mom, you're good to 112. She said, Lord, I don't want to live that long. She said, the only good thing, well, there's nothing good about getting old. Getting old is not for sissies, my mother tells me. And some of us are starting to experience that in life. But... Life's duration, I don't measure greatness by that. 
I don't measure greatness by life's accumulation. It doesn't matter how big a home you live in, how much money you have, what type of car you drive. I measure greatness by life's donation. What have you contributed to life? What have you contributed to those around you? What have you contributed to the world? And he is perhaps the most widely read author of all times, but he made a great donation. The Bible is still the bestseller in the world. And he has been read by millions upon millions. He wrote the Bible, more of the Bible, than anyone else. And his ideas have shaped so much of our lives and so much of our laws in the Western world. He indeed was a winner. I wish we could sit down. I wish we could pick his brain. But we're not going to be able to do that this side of heaven. But we can look at what he wrote. We can look at the records of his life. We can see how he lived his life and how he gave in his life and how that giving in his life affected the lives of so many people. He truly was a winner. That was the secret. It's coming out very loud and clear. And as we read the opening remarks of the letter to the Romans, I see five winning attitudes that I want us to look at this morning. And I want to share them with you. And I pray that you'll make them a part of your life. And I believe that you will be on your way to the winner's circle. You know, we're very quick to try new things. You know, uh, you go to the doctor and you step on the scale. <laughs> and that number says, that's not what the number says at my home and my scale. I think they add several pounds just to take you off your, your, your game when you go to the doctor. But you know what the doctor will tell you when you ask him about all these fads and these diets that are going on? There's some stuff going on right now. You drink this, don't have to do a thing, eat anything you want to, and you're still going to lose weight. The doctor will tell you that is hogwash, to quote someone in history. That's hogwash. You know what's going to cause you to lose weight? Watching what you eat and exercise. That's what's going to do it. You've got to pay a price to lose weight. We don't want to pay that price. We'd rather take a pill or drink something and not have to do that and then go home and eat that ice cream. Now you know it's true. Ask Deacon Flowers. I tried to get him to use sugar-free syrup yesterday on his waffles at the Brotherhood meeting, and he said they're not worth eating without the real thing. Now, Deacon Flowers and I are both diabetics. We shouldn't be eating stuff like that. I didn't. I want you to know I didn't. I ate the grits and the sausage and the eggs. Still same effect. But you know what I'm talking about. We want to cut quarters. We want to do anything we can to make it easy. But I pray that you will make these five elements a central part of your life so that you can be a part of the winner's circle. And they are found in five statements where Paul says, in effect, I am. And it's our attitude of who we are and what we are that holds the keys. First, in verse 1, he says, Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. I think what he's saying here first is, I am somebody. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 1. In so many words, he says, I'm called by God. I'm set apart by God to share the good news. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am somebody. Now, there's so many in the world today that want to tell us we don't matter. Let me tell you, you matter. You matter to God. Whether you matter to someone else, it doesn't matter. You matter to God. You are somebody because he came. He sent his son. 
his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be somebody. And don't you ever let anyone say you are not somebody. You are somebody. You are a person of great worth in the eyes of God. And don't ever let anyone take that away from you. A servant of Jesus Christ. I'm not an unknown face. We're so much into facial recognition now and all these other things. But let me tell you what, God even knows the number of hairs on your head or the number you've already lost. He knows. He knows how much you really weigh and how much you say you weigh. He knows. There's nothing we hide from God. He knows who we are. And I'm not another number. I'm not lost in a crowd. It doesn't matter to somebody what happens to me. It does matter to God. I'm somebody whom God has called as a part of his program. It's interesting to me that the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. And you know what that means? We're the called out ones. God's called us out. We're special. God has called us out. Out of this mass of humanity, we can see ourselves as specially called out by God. We're somebody. We're somebody. And this wasn't just for famous Christians like Paul. In verse 6 he says, Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? You're called this morning. You're here. You're part of the family. You're special. You're somebody. If you've answered God's call, then you too are somebody. You have a worth to God or he wouldn't have called you. Let that sink in. You have value to God. You say, I can't sing. I can't sing. That's all right. That's all right. You may not sing in the choir up here, but you're going to sing in the pew where you are. And I'm sure some of you sing in the shower. If the truth were known, you probably put on your best when no one's around. And you sound like Andre Crouch or maybe a Whitney Houston. You know you do. You know you do. You have worth to God. He called you. Let that sink in. You're somebody important to the program of God. And let me tell you, that's the basis of a winning attitude. Secondly, the second winning attitude is, I am a team player. Look in verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in the scriptures. You're part of a team. I see this attitude there. The good news which Paul preached about Jesus Christ has been predicted for years by other preachers. He was picking up where they had left off, building on the ground that they had toiled to clear. Listen. We're not lone rangers. We're not in this alone. In verses 8 to 10, he recognized that he could not carry the ball for Jesus Christ alone. He needed to work. He needed the work and the support of others to get the job done. Listen, you try to do it alone, you're not going to get it done. Particularly in the family of God, we've got to work together. We've got to support one another. We've got to lift one another up. We've got to encourage one another. Today is not the day for Lone Rangers. To do anything great, we need to team up with others. That's where it works. We just had Christ's clothes and cake. You know why that was a success? It was a team working together to be the church outside of the walls of the church. You get 30, 40 people show up to get everything ready. You get that same number outstanding in the sun. 
Deacon Browning. Deacon Browning's hit a milestone. He recently had a birthday. He's 10 years older than Deacon Flowers. You figure that one out. He stood out in the hot sun on the side of the road in the sun all morning holding up a sign, Christ, clothes, and cake, encouraging people to stop. Teamwork, working together. That's how we accomplish the task that God has given us. This is difficult when we have strong egos. Let me quote Deacon Cunningham. Last Sunday, Deacon Cunningham gave a report on Christ's clothes in church. And you know what he said? Everyone stayed in their lane. That's what he said. And you know what? We work together staying in our lane. When there are strong egos involved, the surest trip to mediocrity or to disasterville is the ego trip. Paul was not on an ego trip. He was a team player. He wanted to give God the glory and to give the fellow Christian workers all the encouragement that he could do. I revel today in how much can be done when no one worries about who gets the credit. We don't need to be on an ego trip. We're part of a bigger family. And family has got to work with family to get the job done. If you want to be a winner, adopt the attitude of a team player. Well, third secret is in verse 14, I'm a debtor. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul had a sense of responsibility. Paul was a man with the attitude that he owed the world something. He was a debtor. How different this is from so many today who think the world owes them something. We have a responsibility. We must step up and exercise that responsibility. I fear for the future of our country. I really do more now than I ever have in my lifetime with current leadership and decisions that are made and Dr. Harris, I appreciate your prayer, praying for our president. We're commanded to do that whether we like him or not. Yes. We're commanded to do that. Yes. And I do pray that God will impress upon them to do what God would do, not what they will do. And I don't think God has a liking to a lot of decisions that have been made in recent days. I strongly believe that. But unless we are walking and talking with God, and we realize we are somebody in Christ Jesus and that we are team players and that we do have a responsibility. We are in debt to those who came before us. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget those who plowed the fields in order for us to plant the crops. We may not reap the harvest, but those behind us will. We are indebted. We're a debtor to those who came before us. Good hope. Think of your history here. Think of the beginnings of this church some 125, 29 years ago. You think of what life was 129 years ago. No, we weren't there. But you know what? We can only imagine how bad it was. Only imagine what life must have been like in the central part of Florida. Listen. Racism in this country is not just prevalent in other places. It's prevalent right here in Polk County. If you haven't experienced it, you will. 
Let me tell you, there are a lot of people that are just messed up. Just messed up. And we as God's children, we've got to go high when they go low. We've got to. Sometimes that's not easy to do. Sometimes the flesh wants to take over and say, let's have a little talk with Jesus. In my family, we call it a Jesus moment. Sometimes we want to do that. And if we get in the flesh, we're going to mess things up. We will. We have to stay the course. Realize we are somebody. A price has been paid for us. We are debtors. Paul saw himself as a servant. His concentration was on what he had to offer, not on what he might get. And that's a sound philosophy for success. Jesus taught and illustrated the truth. If you would be the greatest, be a servant. You show me anybody or any organization who becomes great and remains great, and I will show you someone who is offering a genuine service. Concentrate on how much you can serve. Real winners concentrate on paying their debt to God and society. We will never, ever be able to pay the debt that Christ has given for us. When he paid his, the life of his son on the cross for our sins, we can never do that. I've got three sons. I cannot imagine losing one of my children. And I was telling Doc, Deacon Browning yesterday, it's so unnatural for us when a parent has to bury one of their children before they're gone. That's not natural. That's not what we want. That's not what we desire. But God sent his son from heaven and he died for you and me. What a servant. What a servant. Concentrate on how much you can serve. Real winners concentrate on paying their debt. Have you ever thought about our debt to the past? Think about that. Think about those that came before us. 129 years ago that planted the church here at Gordonville said, you know, we need a church here. We need a church to encourage and build us up in a time when it's tough in this world. When we're not recognized as people. Those people paid a price to start a church. And all through those 129 years up to where we are right now, prices have been paid time after time after time again by those who came before us so that we could worship in an air-conditioned building with comfortable pews and we could lift our voices in praise. A price was paid. Have you ever thought about that debt to the past? Have you ever thought about our debt to the future? what we need to do and invest in now to prepare for those who are going to come behind us. And they may never even realize the price that was paid today and tomorrow for them years down the road. But you know what? If we're faithful to pay that price, they're going to come to know Christ and they'll be a part of this church. And whether they recognize it or not, they will someday know. You know, the older you get, the more appreciation you have from where you came from the more interested you are in genealogy to know about those aunts and uncles and those brothers and sisters and those grandparents and those rascals that were in your family. You know, all of us have them. 
Don't you sit here and not say you don't. All of us have them. We have family members that, God help us, we only love them because they're family. Sometimes they embarrass us. Sometimes they do things that are just not right. But you know they are family. And we love them. I remember on the mission field, on the mission field, all missionaries are aunts and uncles. So we were with the IMB, 5,000 missionaries on the field. So technically, my children had 10,000 aunts and uncles. And everywhere they went, they call them aunts and uncles. Even today, when I respond to a child who is the age of my children now who are in their 30s, they respond to me, thank you, Uncle Ron. Sense of family. But I remember one bald-headed missionary said, Ron, God love them warts and all. And we do. Amen. We do. Amen. We've got to love and encourage them. But it's all about our attitude. We have a debt to the future. We've just helped a church in Tortula put a roof on their building. Well, why would we put a roof on a building? Why aren't we doing evangelism? You know what? A roof on a building is providing for evangelism to take place in the days ahead. Why are we digging a well in Africa to provide clean water to people who have no clean water? People that have to get up early in the day and go to a, a well and hand pump jerrigans, which are five-gallon containers with water that is dirty, to provide clean water. We're making an investment in the future. They may never know that a church in Gordonville, Florida, provided that well, but they'll know that someone, somewhere, felt led of God to do this so that they could have clean water. That's paying a debt to the future. We have that responsibility. Those that come behind us may never fully realize or fully appreciate all that we do, but we need to be faithful to do it. And we need to provide. We're going to have opportunities that are going to be galore before us. We have opportunities day in and day out. There's much more we can do there's much more we can do as a church as we band together. You know what I love about Pastor Pickett? And I love a lot of things about Pastor Pickett. I mean, he's a great preacher. I've never seen him step into this pulpit unprepared. And I thank God for that. I thank God that, as I told Dr. Williams, that he allowed Dr. Williams to be a part of the staff of this church. Let me tell you, in a lot of Southern Baptist churches, women are not allowed to say a thing. They don't think women can be preachers. If you missed her sermon on the palm tree and the root of the palm tree, you missed a sermon. Let me tell you, I'm thankful to God that our pastor looks beyond that and says, this is what the Word of God says, and we're standing on God's Word. Despite what culture may say, I thank God for that. I thank God that He allows for leadership to grow in the church and as God leads you and calls you to do something, to give you the freedom to do that. That's not true in a lot of churches. It's not true in a lot of churches that the pastor would so freely allow his staff to step into his pulpit. That's a sense of a man called of God who is very strong in who he is. He's not afraid. He's secure. Doesn't have an ego problem. It's not about him. 
I love when he said recently in one of his sermons, if you see I'm not following God, you are not bound to follow me. Woo, not many preachers will say that. Some preachers want you to follow them blindly. That's not true. I thank God for that. But we must pay the debt to the future so that those who come behind us can know and hear the word of God. Fourth winning attitude is found in verse 16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Woo, that's a powerful word in itself. He had a sense of confidence. Confidence is the necessary part of the winning secret. We will never succeed without it. Without it, we'll have reservations, which keep us from giving all that we have and going for it. Paul was not ashamed to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He was confident that it was sent from God and that it had the power of God behind it. He was confident of that. I share that same confidence. It makes me bold and deliberate. As Paul said elsewhere, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm making every punch count. Sharing the good news of salvation is your vocation. What you do the other 40, 50 hours a week on your job is your avocation. Every one of us are called to work for Christ. We're never released from that assignment. No matter where we are and what we do. Even in your job, I hope you feel divine confidence. To be a winner in it will require such confidence. Do you believe that God put you there? Boy, can you serve other people there doing whatever your hand finds to do with all your might? Does it give you an opportunity to let your light shine for Christ? If you live it, then you walk it. People see it. And people will ask. They may confront in meetings. There may be things that are done behind the things. There may be those backhanded things that happen. But I assure you, if you stay true to what God has called you to do, they will see it and they will ask, what is different about you? And that's when the doors open and you get to share Jesus. Because it's Jesus who makes the difference. Let your light shine for God. Then believe God will use you there and bless your efforts. Say what he said. What did he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go for it. Don't let it hinder you. Attempt it. Listen, that vacuum cleaner, that dishwasher, those dust rags and pledge and all those other things, once upon a time I didn't know how to do any of it. By the grace of God and the instruction of Cynthia, I'm an expert at it now. And I read an article this week that blew my mind. I knew this and I've said this, but I want you to know that it's now a proven fact that the intelligence of your children does not come from the father. It comes from the genes of the mother. God knew what he was doing all along. And that's a true thing. You think about it. I told my three sons, thank God you got your mother's intelligence. And they're successful because of it. Listen, we need to go for it because Christ has strengthened us. And then the fifth secret in winning is back up at verse 15 where he says, thus for my part, I am eager 
to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am ready. A sense of urgency. Life does not wait for us to get around to it. Winners have a sense of urgency. They seize the moment. They strike while the iron is hot. They make hay while the sun shines. And they enter when opportunity knocks but once. Friends, life is in the now. Yesterday's already gone. Nothing we can do about yesterday. Tomorrow is uncertain. If you're going to do anything, you've got to get started now. Even if it is just starting to organize your plan. Improve today. That's where you live. Say, I am ready. I am ready. I've heard so many people say, someday, someday I'm going to do this or that, and they never get around to it. My father-in-law, I loved him. But he was the world. You look up procrastination in the dictionary, and his picture was there. And he will tell you procrastination served me well. Well, listen, when it comes to God's work, we can't procrastinate. We've got to do it now, someday. But there's no sense of urgency. That's not the way to the winner's circle. Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready for the next stop in God's program, the next step. I'm always wanted to preach the gospel in Rome. I'm ready. Now I have the opportunity. It wasn't the way he had planned for it to happen, but God got him there and he's going to preach the gospel. What is it that you believe God wants you to do? Be ready to start. But you say, I can't right now. Well, you can tell God you're willing. You can start developing your long-range plan and your strategy. You can begin to knock on some doors. Maybe you say, I don't want to start until I'm sure I can do it right. You know what Samuel Johnson said? He who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. If you wait, you're never going to do a thing. You've got to start now. Someone else said to begin the right way is to begin right away. Listen, do something. Do something. Winners always have a sense of urgency. Some of us have been putting it off for a long time. Some of us have been putting off the most important decision of our lives, and that is the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, to make Him your Lord. Each time we put it off, it becomes easier to do so the next time. One day God will give up on prompting you. He said, my spirit will not always strive with a man. If you lose heaven, If you forfeit eternal life, you can never be a winner, my friend. This is the most important decision in your life. Won't you say, I'm ready? I'm ready to open my life to the Savior. Won't you say, I'm not ashamed? I'm coming down this aisle to take Jesus as my Savior. Won't you say, I'm in debtor? Jesus died for me. And it's time that I begin to show my gratitude and start living my life for him.